Praise the Lord. Good morning. Uh, just a review of the last couple of weeks. Um, two weeks ago, I did a sermon on the coming Antichrist kingdom. And um, what Lord has put on my heart is, uh, during this period of time, um, God wants us to be very sober-minded and aware of what's coming into the world around us. And um, we should be able to see the things that are happening in this world. And because, because God has prepared us so well, we shouldn't be surprised. In fact, we should kind of look at the things that are happening in the world. And number one, um, we're called to be uh, the restrainer, the Bible says. The Holy Spirit in us is a restrainer of what the enemy wants to do in the last days. That means the enemy cannot prevail. The enemy cannot do the things that the enemy wants to do because the church is here and full of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I was reading a um, a book on uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and uh, he was a very pacifist personality um, in Germany for most of his life and began to see the atrocities that... Um, Hitler began to um, perpetrate in his country. So he began to um, debate in his mind, what do I do when all these atrocities are occurring around me? And he came to the conclusion that when you see a madman um, going down the street to harm women and children, you must put a spoke in the wheel to stop him. And so God has called us to be the church God has called us to stand against the nefarious actions of the enemy in these last days because the Bible says when the church is gone and the world cries out against the church and the world says, hey, we want a world without God, um, then the enemy will be released to do what he is uh, called to do in the last days. Uh, But as long as the church is here, there is a restraint that is on the enemy and the Antichrist. And so we need to understand that today. So I preached on the coming Antichrist kingdom that it will come and you'll see the preparation for that kingdom. And uh, potentially that kingdom could be in our lifetime. And that kingdom could have potentially been in everybody's lifetime since the uh, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we've got to be aware, and the, and the Bible tells us to constantly be aware of the work of the enemy and the spirit of Antichrist that is currently in the world. And so I talked about the coming Antichrist kingdom and uh, how it's inevitable, how it's going to happen, and when it happens, it will be right before um, Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom permanently on earth. And so it will precede the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So if you believe Jesus Christ is going to set up his kingdom on this earth, which the Bible teaches all the way through the Bible, it speaks of nothing more than that event of Jesus Christ setting up his kingdom on earth. And if you believe that, then you recognize that there will also be an antichrist kingdom that will immediately precede it. So I talked about that kingdom and how the um, nations of the world have been plotting and planning like Psalms chapter 2 says, why do the heathen rage? Why do they plan a vain thing? Something that is not going to work is what the Bible is essentially saying. And so I, I read in that message two weeks ago a lot of the ideals of how they believe uh, that they can save the world, that they can essentially be the Savior, 
that they can basically cut God out of the picture and have a world without God, and they have been plotting and planning the globalists have for a very long time. And they are plotting a vain thing, the Bible says. But yet they still plot. That's why the psalmist was so amazed. Why do they do it? Because he knew it wouldn't work. And so I talked about the the reality of that kingdom. Last week I talked about the the effects or the realities that that ideal, um, how it would how it would display itself on the earth. And largely, I was in the book of Revelation, chapter thirteen. And in order for the coming Antichrist to set up his kingdom, there's certain things that Revelation thirteen says uh, must happen. There must be a one world government. Because in order to um, enforce all the things that the Bible says in Revelation 13 that will be enforced upon the whole world, you have to have a government structure that can enforce it. And in order for an individual to um, enforce buying and selling like Revelation 13 says, you must have an economic system that is united. And this week, I want to get into another aspect of it. And that is um, the one world church, the uniting of the church in what's called the great rebellion or the great apostasy. So if you would, turn in your Bibles again to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. It says, from the NASB, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Now, he had just previously, in the previous chapter, uh, been talking about the rapture of the church. And so he was trying to let them know that, that there is a rapture and that in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, will be gathered to him in the clouds. And so now he's following up from that previous letter and wrote another letter because there had been false teaching in Thessalonica. Um, false teachers had came in and said the tribulation is already here. And so because they had caused them to be afraid and shaken in their faith, they thought they had missed the coming of the Lord and that the tribulation was actually here. So Paul's trying to express to them, here's some events that will occur during the tribulation. And until these events occur, then uh, the tribulation is not here yet. And so he says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure, be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter uh, as if it was from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God and object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring an end by the appearance of his coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray right now that your anointing would be upon this message, Lord. 
Lord, that you would prepare your saints, Lord God. Lord, that you would prepare your church, Lord. Lord, that you would prepare us to be ready, Lord God, expecting, Lord. Father, that we would uh, be aware, Lord God, sober-minded. We would know exactly what's happening around us, Lord God, that we wouldn't be fooled, Lord, by uh, these deceiving spirits, Lord, uh, that you said would be in this world, Lord. I pray right now you're anointing upon this word and upon every heart that hears it, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, a lot of, a lot here that we need to break down. Uh, this scripture, um, in some ways, if you don't understand what he's talking about, you could actually read this incorrectly. Um, as you begin to read the first part of it, he's talking about the coming of our Lord gathering together to him. And he's saying, this is um, what's going to happen. You're going to be gathered to him. Certain things are going to happen, and you'll know it's the tribulation. And the way he writes it in the first part is, let no one deceive you, for what will not come, which means the gathering together to him, unless apostasy comes first. And you say, well, wait a minute. The apostasy, when is that we got to really identify this period of time that's called the apostasy. In fact, some of your uh, translations will say the rebellion. I mean, here I have rebellion when you read that. The rebellion or the apostasy. And so he says, the apostasy comes first, then there's a man of lawlessness revealed. So it almost looks like what he's saying is, apostasy comes first, Man revealed, and then you come to the Lord's, and you are gathered to the Lord in the clouds, right? But that's not what he's saying. He's saying the apostasy comes first, and then the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God and object of worship, so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember while I was still with you, I was telling you about these things? So he's saying that there's an individual, a person, that's going to set himself up in the temple of God. He's going to call himself God. He's going to sit in the seat of God. He's going to demand worship as God. And he said, I told you about this person that is coming. But he says, listen to this. Don't you remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you about these things. And you know what restrains him now? He's asking a question. So that in his time it will be revealed, well, what is stopping him now? What is restraining him now? He's asking a question here. It is the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay, the breath of his mouth coming to an end by the appearance of his coming. So he's talking about... Something has to be removed, right, in order for him to appear. All right, now when does the Antichrist begin to appear? The Antichrist begins to appear when the seal is broken. Seal number one. So this Antichrist begins to appear and begins working when that seal is broken. And so he's talking about a coming and a restrainer being removed, and an antichrist is being revealed to the world. And then he says there's another appearance of his coming 
that will completely destroy the Antichrist. So that can't be the same coming. One coming is he's coming and the Antichrist is released because the restrainer is gone. The last coming is the one that destroys him and is his end, which we find in Revelation 17, 18, and 19. And so he's talking about in order for this to happen, an apostasy must come first. And so you say, well, what is this apostasy? Well, let's first look at what the word apostasy means. It says, it is an English word that is derived from two Greek words. The first word is a, is a preposition, apple, which means away from. The second word is a verb, hestimi, which means to stand. So the literal translation of the word is to stand away from. Strong's Greek, number 646, says defection. Now, how many know what happens when you defect from a country? It means you were once a part of that country, and now I have defected from that country. Uh, apostasy or revolt. If I am revolting against my government, guess what I was a part of previously? That government. Now I'm revolting against my own government. You can't really revolt against something you're not a part of, right? So it's defection from the truth, standing away from the truth. Having been a part of it, now I'm standing away from it. And so it says there will be a great apostasy or a great rebellion. And one thing you have to understand about this, this is a religious apostasy. And we have seen apostasy all through the Bible. In fact, we see instances of it um, in Galatians. There was an apostasy from the truth because there were legalists who were Jewish. They were coming in and they were perverting the gospel. And Paul was saying, man, I... It was so quick that you went away from what I told you. And so there were always instances of people rising up in Galatia. First John talks about the Gnostics. Um, and all through the Bible, you see all these uprisings of apostasies. All through the church, you see uprisings of people that have stood away from the truth and deceived many. But this is different. This is the great apostasy. This is one that's going to be so massive that he's telling the Thessalonians, you'll recognize it. You'll know that the apostasy was here. You're not going to miss this one. Okay? And so there's a great, in fact, the way the, the words that he says is, let no one deceive you, it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. So as we go on, this is a sign of the end times. Now, let me tell you, this might be, if I had to vote, which I never had that opportunity to vote on this, but if I had a chance to vote, what is the least uh, noticed sign of the last days? Now, how many people know that people will notice thousands of miles from here what's happening in Jerusalem? And we will watch the Middle East, and rightfully so, because there are many, many signs daily from the Middle East. In fact, the uh, Israel becoming a nation, again, is maybe the most dramatic sign that we're in the last days. Um, many people will look at weather patterns, right? They will look at weather patterns and they will say, man, you know, uh, unusual things are happening in diverse places and that's a sign and we will recognize those as signs. Or birth pangs, the Bible says. 
Uh, then we will see uh, great conspiracy ideas. We'll see happenings in the UN. We'll see happenings around the world, and we'll put our finger on it and say, man, that looks an awful lot like Revelation 13, Revelation 17, Revelation 18. How many know that we recognize these signs very well? But how many times have you ever seen people say, well, you know what? I can see a structure beginning to build for apostasy. I can begin to see people standing away from the truth, and I can see it on a large scale at this point. Because what's going to happen is, in fact, the reason why he wrote this so uniquely is because the apostasy happens before the restrainer's gone, and it's working all the way up until they finally worship the beast. Do you understand that it's working before he comes. It's already beginning to happen. In fact, there are, um, let, let me put you in this frame of mind. If you're going to have a worldwide religion and you're going to have a religion where everybody agrees and everybody is in unity, begin to tell me the things that you have to change when you preach. You can't preach an exclusive gospel that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He's the only substitute that's acceptable. He's the only, his death is the only way to heaven. You can't preach that in a one world religion. There's a lot of things you can't preach. You can't preach anything that overrides human rights. So you can't tell somebody that they can't fornicate, which means have sex outside of marriage. You can't tell somebody that they can't commit adultery. You can't tell somebody that they're a male or a female. Amen. I didn't get one on that one. You can't tell people that they cannot live a homosexual lifestyle. And in order for a new world religion to come, you have to make sure that people are not preaching what they determined already to be hate speech which means you can't preach the Bible. And so you can't preach against another religion. You, with hate speech, uh, you can't preach against Islam. You can't preach against Muhammad, the false prophet. can't say that, even though he's a false prophet. You can't preach against Hinduism. You can't preach against the New Age, because what they will want during this period of time, is a religious system where nobody is um, upsetting anybody else's human rights. And so what you begin to see is an apostasy, and you begin to see a religion that has no power. In fact, the Bible says, um, having a form of religion but denying the power therein. And from such, the Bible says, turn away. And so in the last days, we've seen bits and pieces of this over history. But one thing we haven't seen is a worldwide system. We've seen places like the Soviet Union that were atheistic. And we've seen communism crush religion, but it was regional. We've seen the early church were crushed for their stand for the gospel. But how many know that was regional? That was just a small area of the world. Uh, we've seen China currently crushing 
Christianity in their nation, but it's not worldwide. And so what the Bible is prophesying is a worldwide apostasy. And it says that you'll begin to see this foundation to begin to be laid before the restrainer is removed. So what's going to happen is there is a world of people right now. In fact, uh, all you have to do is look at UN resolutions on religion. And they're already, in fact, they've had ceremonies as far back as 1975 where all of the religions of the world have come together. In fact, they all took, uh, they all took buckets of water from rivers from around the world, molded them all together and began to have prayers from all the different religions. And they have been working on unifying all religions since the seventies and even earlier. And so what we will see is when the true believing church, now just imagine this, the rapture means that every true believer on the face of the earth will be gone. Now what are the implications of that? When that restrainer is removed, when the prayers of all those believing saints are gone, what will be left on the earth? And what will be left on the earth is every apostate believer who is religious. And so those apostate believers will be the leaders of the church that is going to be established in the book of Revelation for seven years. And so these apostates will begin to enforce exactly what has been in their heart to do for a long time, and that's religion without the true God. And Satan, ultimately, through the Antichrist, will be worshipped during this period of time. So the Bible, you would say, well, man, I haven't heard a lot of messages on the apostasy. Does the Bible even say much about it, or is it just Thessalonians that says that? Well, the Bible says a lot about it. In fact, the Bible, in Acts chapter 20, listen to this. It says, this is Paul in Acts 20, verse 29 to 31. It says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, what do you think Paul means here? He's leaving Ephesus, and he's talking about a group of savage wolves. Do you think a pack of wolves are going to come in this church when he leaves? No, this is his definition of apostates. He's saying a group of people will come into your church, not sparing the flock, a pack of savage wolves. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things, and what does their go? It says to draw away disciples after themselves. Paul is warning us about good old general apostasy, meaning people in your congregation will rise up, and it says they'll be trying to draw disciples after themselves. That means follow me, I know better, I have a better teaching. And they're going to draw people after themselves. So Paul's warning them. Um, He doesn't say that maybe the savage wolves will come. He doesn't say it's a decent possibility. He says they will come. And they'll rise up from among you. And he says, speaking perverse things to draw disciples after themselves, therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day, look how much Paul thought this was 
very important to this church. He says, night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish you with tears. So for three years, day and night, when Paul says day and night, do you know what he means? Day and night. There's no Greek study there. Paul, day and night with real tears, taught them so they would not be fooled or deceived by apostates. Romans 16, 17, and 18, Paul again, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances, contrary to the teaching which you learned. Turn away from them. From such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. You see that Paul is warning them again, be on the alert, because they are going to... In fact, he says, be on the alert. They're slaves of their own appetites, he says. You see this desire for power and this desire to have people follow them, that they're leading people astray? Galatians 1, 6-9 says, this is Paul again, I am amazed, this is when he's talking to the church at Galatia, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. You see, he's warning against apostates again. And so you say, well, why is this important for the last days? It's important for the last days because there are few there. In the last days, they will be everywhere. There will be people distorting the gospel, people teaching a false gospel. There will be those who try to draw people away from the true gospel in many, many different ways. 1 Timothy 4, 1-3. Now remember, Timothy is a pastoral letter. He's trying to teach Timothy how to be a pastor uh, of a church. And so he's sending him to the church where the wolves are. <laughs> okay, the one where he said the wolves are coming. Now he's saying, Timothy, go pastor that church at Ephesus. But it says in First Timothy 4, it says, But the Spirit explicitly states that in the later times, that's the last days, Some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own consciences with a branding iron. Do you see that it's not just apostates, but they're teaching doctrines of demons. They literally are demonically inspired teachers who are going um, lustfully going after fooling people. Okay? Hebrews 2, 1 to 4. I know I'm spending a lot of time here, but the Bible just says so much about it. Remember I said this is the most unnoticed sign of the last days? Hebrews 2, 1 to 4. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Why pay closer attention, Paul? It says, so that we will not drift away from it. For if a word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Second Peter 2-3, to this is Peter speaking, right before his death. False prophets will arise among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. 
They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Do you understand that the people that are doing the teaching here, the master had bought them? They are denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So these are believers again. Jude, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith. I mean, fight for the faith that was once entrusted to God's holy people because certain individuals whose condemnation was written long ago have secretly slipped in among you. You see they're among them again? They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ as our sovereign and Lord. Uh, Skip down to verse 17 in Jude, and it says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last days there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. There are people who divide you and follow their natural instincts, and they do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring us to eternal life. Do you see that every time you see this, there's an association of immorality? And so in the last days, what we're going to begin to see, what we should begin to see according to the Scriptures, is that same apostasy I just read on a global scale. That means that you're going to have churches, get this, and you won't believe this, you're going to have churches that are going to say, do whatever you want, immorally it doesn't matter because of grace. You can live any way you want. When the Bible says that you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven when you're a drunkard, they will say, no, drink all you want. When the Bible says that you don't inherit the kingdom of heaven if you're a fornicator, they'll say, no, live any kind of lifestyle you want, it's okay. And there will be a church that will rise up, and the Bible calls it an apostate church, and it's going to be a church that does not believe in a life separated to Jesus Christ, does not believe um, that God has an expectation for our life, that God purchased us for a reason. And there will be a church that will rise up in the last days that will be a very unholy church. In fact, Revelation 17 reveals the symbol of this church and it is a woman that rides on the back of a state government. In fact, the beast that we talked about, which is the Antichrist kingdom, this woman who represents the church in the tribulation is a woman from the time of Babylon until now has had an alcoholic beverage in her hand and all the false religions of the world drink out of her cup. The Bible calls it the cup of Babylon. It's always an intoxicating drink. It's always a drink that the nations are drinking out of. They are drinking in the wickedness, the filthiness. She's called the whore of Babylon, and false religion has its roots in this woman. And the last days will be an explosion of that religion, and the church will no longer be here. Amen? So be prepared to see this apostate church all over the world rising up, people who are um, apostates from the faith. What will they deny? In fact, a good study is what are each of these instances of apostasy, what are they denying? I wish I could put my hand on one thing. I wish I could put my finger on one thing that an apostate 
uh, teaches differently, and man, we know who it is now. But the problem is there's a variety of things. First Timothy 4.1 says, But the Spirit expressly says in later times they will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So the doctrine of demons and the deceitful spirits, what are they attacking? They're attacking faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord of their life. So apostates in the last days, we know for sure from Timothy, will attack faith. Well, what is faith? It is a decision to serve Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. So they will either attack the fact that you have to make a decision to trust Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, or they will attack the fact that Jesus Christ is the only Savior that's been given to mankind. And I think both of those areas will be attacked in the last days. Second thing they will attack, Second Peter 2, one says, denying the master who bought them. So that means that there will be an attack from these apostates on the fact that it is Christ who bought them and his atoning death. So how many can see a world where they will actually tell you Christ is one way to God, but there are many? And so this last day apostate church in the tradition here of the apostates in 2 Peter 2.1, they will be telling you there are many ways to God and it is a lie of the last days. And we should see this permeating our culture, which we do. Another thing, sound doctrine, 2 Timothy 4.3, Paul is uh, speaking very sternly here because Paul is about to be executed. In fact, he says a little later that he's reached the end. He's toward the end of his life. He's about to be poured out like a drink offering. And so what would he say to make sure Timothy is ready for what he's about to deal with? He says, for a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they will suit sound doctrine. Instead, they will suit their own desires and will gather around them a great number of teachers. So the apostates that Timothy is to watch out for, they don't want sound doctrine. And so not only will these apostates not want sound doctrine, they will gather teachers around them. That means that if I want to um, fulfill the desires of my heart, meaning I want to do whatever I want and still be called Christian, I want to live whatever life I want to live and still be a Christian, you can find a Ph.D. that will back up your theology. In fact, I find it a sad state that when Jesus Christ comes, he could not find a follower among the intelligent. He couldn't find a follower among the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisee, the most intelligent people in Israel. He could not find a follower. He had to go to the simple fishermen to find anybody that could follow him. And this is the condition that they show us in Thessalonians in the last days, that it's going to be difficult. In fact, did you know that about 80% of our universities were founded to spread the gospel? A university like Harvard University, the brightest and best um, ministers went to Harvard, and it was considered daily you were required to study the Bible twice daily, and you were required to meet in chapel. And the whole purpose of your education there was to spread the gospel. And now Harvard is one of the greatest apostate schools against the gospel. They're opposed to the gospel at every turn, and this is exactly what Timothy is speaking about. 
but they will gather teachers unto themselves who will suit their own desires. So in the last days, sure sign, there will be large groups of people that say, you know what, I don't have to change a thing to live for God. I can, be, I can do exactly what I want to do. And they will find teachers that will back them up. <clears throat> Another thing that the apostates were attacking. 2 Peter 3.4 records that they were asking, where is the promise of his coming? They will attack the promise of the return of Christ. And can I tell you right now, there are large segments of the Christian world that do not believe in the return of Jesus Christ. That is an apostate church that doesn't believe in the return of Christ. Um, it also says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fourteen, And if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain, Paul said. 2 Timothy two seventeen says, Among uh, them are Hymenius and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying the resurrection has already taken place, and they have upset the faith of some. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is another place the apostates attacked. So if you begin to see attacks on the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the last days, you'll know that's part of an apostate church. All right, who are the apostates going to be? We've already said that it usually comes out of the church. It usually is former believers. In fact, you can't be an apostate unless you were formerly a believer, formerly involved in the church. And so the list may surprise you. In fact, um, in Ezekiel or in Exodus thirty-two one to ten, Moses is called by God, and it was a forty-day trip to the top of Mount Sinai, and he was going to return to the people. They were a nation under God; they served the living God, one God, no other gods before them. Moses leaves for a forty-day trip. And before he gets back down, they're no longer a monotheistic nation. They have many gods now. They have a golden calf. They have all of this going on. And you say, well, man, those dirty, rotten people that turned on Moses and are no longer monotheistic. Until you see who the leader was. The leader of that apostasy, that turning away from the truth, was none other than Moses' brother, Aaron. You see, another apostasy in Judges 17 and 18, it says there was a Levite that was wandering through the land, and he ends up in Dan, he ends up with uh, a man named Micah, and he ends up introducing Israel, who's newly in the land. They're new to the land, serving God, living for God, and the first introduction of idolatry is by this Levite, who was wandering around to this tribe, they began to call him their priest, and he begins to introduce them to idols. And you say, well, why is that a big deal? Because idolatry was introduced to Israel through a Levite. And you say, well, who is this Levite? Judges 18.30 says it was Gershom, the grandson of Moses. So who are the leaders that are going to be leading the apostasy. It's not who you think. You say, well, that guy was never right with the Lord. 
In fact, when you look through the churches, it's always influential people that you probably would never guess. You probably never would have thought Moses' brother Aaron would be leading an apostate worship. You never would believe Moses' grandson, who was a Levite, would be leading. Um, And then you begin to see the, the, the speed at which it happens. You say, well, man, pastor, we're a good Bible-believing church. We love the Lord, and you know, and we're all right. We don't have to worry about it. We've got it locked in uh, um, cruise control here till the end of the age. Well, why are they spending so much time warning us to watch out from among us, watch out around us? Because the speed that it happens can happen extremely fast. When Paul writes to the Galatians, he says, I marvel. You know, Paul's seen a lot of things in his life. For him to marvel at something probably had to be pretty impressive. Paul says, I marvel that you've turned away so quickly from him, capital H. What did they turn away from? Him, the Lord. It says, you've turned away so quickly from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel. When Paul says so quickly, he means it because he was just there about a year ago. So that means that if Galatia, where Paul personally built the church and established elders before he left on his first missionary journey, if they could leave the Lord in a year, then every church in America should shiver at that thought because Paul hasn't been in this church in the last year. So we need to be aware that we can drift away from him who called us if Galatia can do it. Paul wrote, let's see, the golden calf incident, as I mentioned, was 40 days. Moses had been leading them. Moses had been communicating directly with God because he was a close friend of God. God spoke directly to Moses. Well, guess what? 40 days ago, Moses was not in this church leading this church. And I'm a poor replacement for Moses. So if a people that had been led by Moses and seen the greatest miracles anybody has ever seen on the face of the earth, when's the last time you went um, to a sea or a river? Just imagine, we got a lot of rivers around here. Imagine the Ohio River splits on both sides, is completely dry on the ground, and you walk across the other side, and then it closes up and it kills everybody who was chasing you. Well, man, I don't think I would want to worship another God. You know, they seen miracles that nobody else had ever seen, and within 40 days of Moses leaving their presence, they were worshiping other gods. That's why the Bible says always be aware. In fact, Paul said, if I preach another gospel, call me accursed. If an angel comes from heaven and preaches another gospel. That means if, if, if Gabriel shows up on your bedside and he's telling you a gospel other than the one that was presented to the apostles by Jesus Christ, call it a curse. And you say, well, why is that such a big deal? Because the false religions of the world, most all of them, have had an angelic revelation that wasn't the truth. The Muslim faith believes that Gabriel 
gave a message to Muhammad that was to override the original gospel. Joseph Smith believes that he was given an Urim and a Thummim and an angel uh, came and helped him uh, interpret the plates, the golden plates. Now, that sounds kind of suspect either way. I, you know, But if an angel comes from heaven and preaches a different even if Paul himself preaches a different gospel, if I preach a different gospel, you should be all over me because we don't want to go into apostasy in these last days. So it happens very, very quickly. Here's one that's a little more of a period of time. Do you know that Paul left the Ephesians in around probably 60 A.D., I would say? And he wrote this letter that said that wolves will come among you. Beware, be careful. They're ravaging wolves that will not spare anybody. And Paul sent Timothy there. John was a pastor there up until the time he went was um, um, removed and sent to the island of Patmos as punishment. Um, they had some of the greatest pastors. Apollos was there. Priscilla and Aquila were there. They had some of the greatest pastors you can have from the year 60 to the year 95. Do you know that in the book of Revelation, when he speaks to um, the church at Ephesus, he says, beware because you have left your first love. And if you don't go back to that, your candlestick will be removed. They had already began to apostatize, and they had some of the greatest pastors that you can have. In fact, five of the seven churches received a warning against apostasy. Paul in 1 Timothy 1.19 says, Some of you have rejected, some of, which some have rejected concerning the faith, and you have suffered shipwrecked, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they will learn not to blaspheme. So how dangerous is apostasy? Paul here is comparing it to a shipwreck. And I do realize that none of us in here have probably been in a shipwreck. But if you were in a real shipwreck in real dangerous waters, you'll realize that you lose everything. And you're very fortunate if you can get away with your life. And so apostasy is so dangerous that Paul is saying that you have a chance to lose everything. And if you're not careful, you can even lose your own life. Apostasy is that dangerous. In the last days, it will cover the earth. Second thing he compares it to is ravenous wolves that enter a flock. Now, if nobody there is, is there to watch the sheep and they're in a pen and there is a wolf inside the pen with the flock, how dangerous is that? Remember, we're the sheep. The apostate is the wolf. Paul uses terms that are fairly dangerous terms. That means the sheep have very, really almost no chance to survive unless a shepherd is in there to protect them. And at the moment the shepherd is there to protect them, they're safe. But as long as nobody is there to protect them and he's allowed to do what he wants to do, he'll destroy an entire flock. And you say, well, man, I've never seen that. You've never seen a church split. You've never seen a church split over somebody's behavior, 
somebody's teaching, somebody's lifestyle. It's very, very dangerous. And can I tell you something? It's very dangerous when a Christian in a home turns away from the faith. I've seen dads and I've seen moms who have served the Lord faithfully and once they decided that, no, I'm not going to stand for the Lord anymore. They went right back into the world. You say, well, Chad, that's impossible. That's theologically impossible. Trust me, I've seen it firsthand. It happens. The Bible says it happens miraculously. So you can deny it theologically all you want, but I've lived through it, I've seen it, I've witnessed it, and the Bible says it happens. And it's dangerous. It's, it's, It's comparable to ravenous wolves. Paul later warns, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying the resurrection has already passed, and they have overthrown the faith of some. That word overthrown is the same word used when Jesus overthrows the tables in the temple. So these people are so dangerous, they're like a gangrene or a cancer. Now, there's not too many things I would compare cancer to. But he says the apostate's behavior is going to spread like a gangrene or a cancer, and it will overthrow people's faith. You say, well, I thought people's faith were unable to be overthrown. Well, maybe you need to have a conversation with Paul because he says they're so dangerous they will overthrow people's faith. How to be careful against apostasy. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, right in the middle of all this, and I think you may have read this, Mike, didn't you? It says, test all things, hold fast to what is good. Acts 17.11 says, the Bereans were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and search the scriptures daily to find out whether the things were so. So we have to test all things. You say, well, all things or some things? I'm pretty sure, I didn't do a Greek study this morning, but all things mean all things. You mean from some people or all people? All people. Test all things from all people. You say, well, he's a PhD or he's a, uh, he's, he's a reformer from the church. I'm going to believe exactly what he says because he's bigger than you are. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Just because somebody is in a seminary and has letters after their name doesn't mean that God can use them. God was looking for uneducated fishermen to build his church. They were his pastors. They were his apostles. They were not very smart. And I didn't just say it. The Bible says it. And God used them because he could use them. Not to say you can't be smart and be a Christian. I'm just saying it's not a prerequisite. The smarter you are, not the better Christian you are. It's who believes in the truth and holds on to the truth. And that's my last part, and I'm going to close here very soon. Second Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10 says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve, uh, signs and wonders that serve the lie. In all the ways of wickedness, 
deceives those who are perishing. They perish. Why? Why do they perish? They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So test what is good. Be like the Bereans and check everything out for yourself. Don't believe everybody. Don't even believe Paul. The Bereans went and checked what Paul was saying. Be a lover of the truth, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, and 10. That means the, the ones who will overcome will believe the truth, hold on to it, and be saved. And then the last thing, very important, Jude, verse 17, when it talks about apostates, says, Dear friends, remember, um, the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They told you in the last days there will be scoffers who will follow their ungodly desires. They're the people who divide you. They follow their natural instincts. They do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourself on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love, and wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. John 16, 13 says, But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will speak on... He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. Father, I pray that you raise up Christians, Lord, who love the truth, Lord God, who are full of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, who test everything by your word, Lord God. Oh, Father, I just pray that you raise up Bereans who check everything with your word to see if it be true, Lord. Father, right now I pray an alertness, Lord God, on your church. Lord, we feel the apostasy growing in this world. Father, we know that there are very few places where sound doctrine is even um, it's even tolerated, Lord God. And Father, I just pray that your spirit would be upon this church and you would help this church, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to close with a song here. And... Um, I just want to ask you this morning, where do you fall? Just like last week, are you a lover of the truth? Are you living the truth? Are you um, walking in the word, walking in the spirit? Um, Or are you susceptible to these false teachers who are dangerous? They'll shipwreck you. They'll be like a ravenous wolf. They'll be like a cancer that destroys your body. And if that's you, you need to run to the Lord and uh, fall upon his word Ask for his Holy Spirit and uh, find a good church that um, preaches the truth. Thank you.